0: Side Hustle Show 290. This is Willpower 101. How to strengthen this critical success muscle. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because where there's a will, there's a way. Study after study has found that willpower, the ability to control yourself, predicts academic and professional success better than IQ or charisma or having rich parents Now, of course, it's not the only ingredient in our success recipe, but it's a critical one. It would be like trying to make guacamole without an avocado. And honestly, it's something that I struggle with. I think we all do at times. But the good news is that our willpower, our self-discipline, is something we can improve. It's not fixed or static. In this episode, we're gonna explore several concrete ways you can add more willpower to your days, or since more isn't always the answer, how to sprinkle it in just the right spot so it has the greatest impact. These are the little tweaks and hacks you can apply today to start making meaningful progress. In a lot of ways, this episode is inspired by my brother, who has been strengthening his willpower muscle for several years, and it's made a night and day difference in his demeanor, in his interactions with others, and I think think in his overall health and happiness. So I encourage you to check out an article he put together on the topic on his blog. It's becomingbetter.org slash willpower. I think you'll like it and we'll reference several of his points in this episode. Again, becomingbetter.org slash willpower. And most importantly, this stuff works. I've seen it firsthand. Now, to help me dive into the willpower topic is another gentleman I consider quite disciplined, and that's Derek Depker from excuseproof.com. He's the author of Healthy Habit Revolution, a book I also encourage you to check out. Derek is a consultant, a speaker, a trainer. and He's really focused on helping people cultivate positive changes in their mind, in their body, and in their business. And he's got some awesome actionable suggestions for us today. Notes and links for this one along with the full highlight reel summary are at sidehustlenation.com slash willpower. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this call with Derek after the interview. We kick this thing off with perhaps the most important willpower trigger, and that's how we see ourselves, or I'll call it the identity habit.
1: Ready? Let's do it. Our behaviors often stem from our identity. Now, this can go both ways, which I'll cover in a moment. But for instance, if I see myself as someone who is driven, who works hard, who's a high achiever, and that's part of my identity, then naturally my behaviors are going to tend to follow that. So, we all have these identities and these beliefs about ourselves, and it's really hard to go against that. So, for instance, it can almost always become a double-edged sword if a person goes, well, my identity is I'm a caretaker. I like taking care of other people. If part of their identity doesn't include receiving help, then they might actually be like, no, I don't get help from other people. I'm the one who gives help a person has an identity of, again, that ambitious high achiever who does things really well, that can actually backfire because they might become a perfectionist and not do things in the learning curve where they're not going to be so good. So that's a whole deep topic. But the idea is we all have built up these beliefs about ourselves and about our identity. So what happened for me, a quick backstory was I used to eat fast food every single night in high school. So I did not see myself as like a health and fitness type of a person. And the first big transformation for me where all my a lot of my habits changed around diet and exercise and health. Happened when I saw myself or who I really wanted to be as someone that was healthy and fit. When I got that identity of, you know, I'm someone who I take care of my health, naturally, my behavior had to align to that. It had to be congruent with that. It'd be really awkward, psychologically speaking, for me to be like, I love myself. I love taking care of my body. Now I'm just going to put a bunch of junk food in me. It wouldn't work. So the identity it kind of gives birth to a lot of our other actions and behaviors. And as we'll get into though, you can start to change your behaviors and work backwards to start to shift your identity by doing different things and affirming different things about your identity.
0: Was that just a flip of the switch for you? Like one day, okay, I'm gonna stop eating McDonald's and I'm gonna become this health nut,
1: or was that more gradual? It was a little bit of both. So looking back, it was a pretty profound switch in terms of the, you know, how quickly I did like a 180. At the same time, there was a buildup to it. So, what I was doing was I was starting to read some books on the impact that, let's say, trans fats and sugars had on the body. Now, before that point, I was like, you know, I can eat whatever I want. I was super scrawny and skinny. I actually wasn't overweight. I was just really skinny. So, I was like, okay, I can get away with it. It's not doing any harm. So, what's the big deal? And what does healthy even mean? Like, I didn't get it. So when I read about it and I go, oh, wait a second, this is maybe why I don't have energy. This is why I'm breaking out uh, my skin, breaking out acne. This might be the damage that I'm doing to myself right now. And I saw in scientific terms, the consequences. I had to ask myself this question, who do I want to be? And not just in that moment, I projected, this is actually a important technique. I go 10 years in the future. When I'm in my 20s, when I'm in my 30s, that ideal version of myself, do I want to be some guy who's like out of shape and unhealthy and just miserable? Or do I want to be someone who's fit, muscular, strong, capable, someone who can just like conquer life, right? I had this ideal image. I go, that's what I want to be. I want to be this strong, fit, healthy, vibrant person. I had that image and then I go, okay, well, that starts with me. Now I'm going to choose to be that kind of person. And so it was, you know, maybe a couple months to get there of reading some books and learning about it. But then the changes happened fairly quickly in terms of cutting out a lot of the junk food and really getting focused on my health.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of kind of external environmental hacks and stuff. We'll get into that. But it's this internal identity thing saying, like, I'm the type of person who takes care of myself, who prioritizes my business, who, you know, whatever it is, whatever you're trying to do. And it's this, maybe that's maybe that's what willpower is. It's like this sacrifice, and maybe sacrifice is the wrong word today, or doing what's hard today to hopefully reap the benefits of what's better tomorrow, or like you said, for your future self 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. But I don't know, like, I have a hard time convincing myself of that, even though I could say the same thing, like, I'm the type of person, I care about what I put into my body, but then every weekend, it's like, well, you know, then you kind of fall off a little bit. It's harder to really ingrain that. I don't know. Do you have any words of wisdom for people who are just like, I'm with you, like, that sounds great, but it's harder to implement in practice?
1: Yeah. So, first of all, I can relate because that's really what motivated a lot of my research into this because, and I'll share in a moment how that switch flipped when it came to the entrepreneur identity, which I didn't have. So that whole question of, cool, this sounds good in theory, but how do I actually do that? You know, it's one thing and especially with things like affirmations and stuff. Oh, just look in the mirror and tell yourself I'm successful or I am a healthy, vibrant person. Like in the back of your head, I'm like, I know I'm just lying to myself or <laughs> like I can't quite convince myself. And then it doesn't really work so well. So that's actually really what spurred a lot of this research into it, because I noticed that there were some areas that. You know, with health, yeah, it was a change and there's a number of things I can break down. You know, one was that, you know, projecting in the future. Another thing was the research and the study, which I, for me, part of it goes into the personality type of what's your why? Do you have a big enough why? And for me, if I would have just said to myself, be a healthy person, I don't think that would have been motivating. But when I saw the consequences to my life, especially more even in the short term of what those foods were doing to me versus what different foods could do. That's when it became more real. So, there's different points where it becomes, I guess, real for a person where it's not just this, oh, it seems like it's something I should do versus it becomes something, no, this is something I truly want for myself.
0: you got to want it versus just like, oh, I want, especially when you're creating a New Year's resolution list or something where it's like, okay, there's a dozen different things. It's like, well, almost by definition, if you really wanted to do that stuff, you probably wouldn't have waited until some arbitrary change in the calendar.
1: Exactly. And so I've still had my challenges, again, which got me into this where it's like, I did that with health, but you know, do I keep my apartment clean all the time? No, not really. So it's like, but I learned techniques and hacks and tricks to improve that and to start to shift some of the behavior. And so one thing I noticed when it came to, let's say there's internal and external. So one external thing that can have an influence was when I had just, I believe, graduated college. So I was working a job and I started reading books on like personal development, starting a business. And I remember I had a a guy who was kind of a mentor to me saying like, okay, you're an entrepreneur. And I never made that connection before. So I was kind of starting this like little side business thing with skincare products as like an affiliate. And I did some MLM stuff. And that's not really the thing I got into, but there was like, I was experimenting with some different things. And he's like, so you're an entrepreneur. He said, you're an entrepreneur. And he kept saying it. And I just, oh, I guess that's what I am. And eventually it stuck as an identity. I go, oh yeah, now I'm an entrepreneur. And I did start my businesses with books and courses and stuff. But I noticed I had to like do something and then have someone externally speak into me who I am, right? And that's how a lot of our identities are formed when we grow up. It's parents, it's teachers, it's other people saying who you are. Now, I wouldn't necessarily want to depend on someone else to define our identity because there's obvious limitations to that.
0: Yeah, I can see that backfiring too.
1: Yeah. It does speak to the power though of environment and that who you surround yourself with. Are they speaking into you who you are and do they see your potential? Do they see what you're capable of and recognize it even when we don't recognize it ourselves? So, that's part of the power of having mentors and influences and people around us that as human beings, we're social creatures. So I'm a little bit more of the independent type. If someone tells me something, I'm like, whatever, that's just your opinion. But still, we're all influenced to some degree by these external influences. So that's the external. And then the internal, the convincing yourself aspect, from the practical standpoint, a real simple language trick is instead of saying, I believe something, this is something I'll give credit. I've learned it in an LP, but it was David Bayer who really hit this home for me. And so you can say out loud, these two different statements. One is, I believe I am a health enthusiast. I believe I love taking care of my health. So if you say that and then now contrast that with this, I've decided I am now a health enthusiast. I've decided I now take great care of my health. What you'll find if you say those two things out loud for myself and for many others, the power of the word decision, I've decided. This is what I decide that's something that you can change. Beliefs are kind of abstract. I don't, I have this belief. What do I do about it? But if you decide something, now all of a sudden there's this empowered state of I've decided this is true now, regardless of what's been true in the past. And the second part of the convincing, so to speak, is you go, What's my evidence of that? So, Nick, what you notice is you go, Well, I have evidence of what I do on the weekends that counteracts that, right? But what's your evidence that does support your someone? that values your health and takes care of your health.
0: Okay. That's why I like that. I believe versus I decided, and I should note, this goes just beyond we were talking kind of about like health and fitness, but I think this really applies to any habit or any you know project that you're trying to work on. One language hack that I really liked from the Healthy Habit Revolution book was just the self-talk of I don't instead of I can't saying, I can't have that piece of cake. So I don't have that piece of cake because I'm somebody who cares about what I put in my body. Like, it's just this subtle language hack that kind of spins it from being a sacrifice that you're making to being, again, an, an investment in your future self and all that stuff. So that's kind of the identity habit. You kind of touched on, I don't know if this was your quote or somebody else's, but the external factor, environment is stronger than willpower. And we could call this keeping the kryptonite away in like, if you don't want to eat crap, don't buy crap, you know, keep the crap, keep the ice cream out of your house. If that's not what you want to have, you know, don't have the six pack of beer front and center in your fridge every time you open it. But, you know, one question that came up in the Facebook group regarding environment was how do you get buy-in if you're trying to make a habit change, you know, whether it's for your business, for your health from the people you live with and the people you're surrounded by, your friends and family. I don't know what your living situation is, but you don't have a wife and have two kids around here. It's like, you know, nothing is going to go down without their buy-in, especially without mom's buy-in.
1: Yeah. So, there's two things. One is getting the buy-in with the people, adjusting your environment. And I will briefly touch back on what you said about the I don't versus I can't because what really makes this powerful is the research behind it showed So this isn't just, oh, this sounds good or feels better. It actually showed a couple different studies. One was using I don't had success eight out of 10 times in avoiding a temptation. And then the I can't, I think it was once out of 10. Oh, geez. (laughs) Really significant difference. Another one was like 30 something percent versus 60 something percent with the, with the I don't be more successful. So, I mean, it's not just a sounds good thing. Like it's really backed up by the research, the power that language has in the framing in our mind, because one, the I don't is, again, Again, it's a decision. It's an empowered state of this is my choice. Whereas I can't, it's like, oh, this is just something that's been forced upon me <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I got to go along with it. So that actually segues into what you're talking about with the people that you live with, because if it feels to them like it's forced, then a lot of times there's going to be resistance. So as you said, buy-in, how do you get them to want to choose to support this? So to get buy-in What you want to do is you want to look for what's the mutual goal? What is the highest level thing that everyone in that environment wants? So one of the mistakes, if I'm an entrepreneur and I go, well, I'm doing this for my family. Right. Well, maybe what's valuable to the family is they want to spend more time, you know, quality time together. So you got to find the point of agreement and go, Okay. well, I'm working on this business for the purpose of having lifestyle freedom. So we can go on these vacations that we want to go on. So we can live in this house that we want to live in. So we can send kids to the school that they want to do or go play on the sports teams that they want to play on and get all the things that they want. Right. So the conversation needs to be with the family about what is important to you and for what purpose. So for what purpose are you working on your business or for what purpose do you want to eat healthier or whatever it is, and then find out how that actually supports the same intention and ultimate kind of big picture goals that the other people in that environment have. This is actually really sales because when you talk about buy-in, effective selling is selling them on the benefits of why changing this environment is going to help them reach their goals rather than you just reaching your goals. All right, that makes sense. Practice a little bit of salesmanship, maybe a little
0: Jedi mind tricks, but yeah, I mean, what's in it for them? That makes sense. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. The next point that we have is to tackle your should-dos before your have-to-dos, which was really kind of counterintuitive to me. This was actually came from an article that my brother wrote at becomingbetter.org slash willpower. And, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive, but maybe the argument is, hey, you know, your have-to-dos are going to get done one way or the other. So, you know, you might as well prioritize the stuff you should do
1: early in the morning when your when your willpower is at its strongest. There's phrases that have been called energy management rather than time management. So managing your energy rather than thinking about managing your time. And that's an interesting reframe because it goes to this idea that if you have the most energy to tackle the most difficult things, if those are the should do's or if those are the things that it's like, "Ah, I really don't feel like doing that, then yeah, absolutely. When do you have the most energy for that? And for many people, it could be early in the morning. Some people, it might be the afternoon. Some people, it might be at the nighttime. The idea though, the principle again, is when do you have the most energy to handle those things? So a lot of this is about finding the sequence of things. For myself as an entrepreneur, creative work, productive, like proactive creative work, definitely do that better in the morning. And some of the checking emails or things like that, I find that it doesn't really matter when I do that in the day. But if I check my emails first thing in the morning, I'm not taking advantage of that fresh morning energy that I have that could be put into doing something more creative.
0: Yeah, I agree. I feel a million times better when I can somehow manage to get up before the kids and like, you know, get something proactive done before just jumping into, you know, putting out fires and reactive mode. So, that one has actually been really powerful for me the last year or so, making a micro habit of just at least doing one proactive thing before diving into the inbox or what have you. Are you a miracle morning person? Like, you know, doing your Zen meditation first thing? Like, what's your morning look like?
1: Yeah, so I've done the miracle morning. I'm not a strict follower of it at this point. I do have a morning routine that involves a few of those things. So meditation doesn't always make it in to the morning routine. Although I do feel better when I get it done in the morning versus waiting till afternoon or night. What does get done in the morning that I've been consistent with is some sort of it's physical, it's some exercises, but it's not exercise exercises, more like some stretches, some more corrective work for myself, which is about a 10 minute routine for that. I do okay. actually recently some voice work and voice training has made it into my morning routine. So different things make it into my morning routine, but there's usually a few exercises or tasks, again, might include meditation or some Also, usually like watching a video or something while I'm doing that, a video or an audio, that's some sort of personal development or business-related type of thing.
0: Do you think willpower is a finite thing that you get, you know, like you get a tank of gas of it every day and, you know, when it's gone, it's gone?
1: Or is it just, is that something that's been, you know, extrapolated from cherry-picking the research? So, the initial research that came out did seem to indicate that willpower is finite. So, if you're using your willpower a lot throughout the day to avoid temptations or to, to get things done, it's like by the end of the day, you might be drained and more likely to give into temptation or whatever. And then some other research came out that seemed to indicate that the belief about willpower, if you believe you're limited in willpower, then you will be. If you believe willpower is infinite, then you'll have more willpower, right? So, it's, sure. it's like Henry Ford, whether you believe you can or can't, you're right. Our stories and our beliefs can become self-fulfilling prophecies. They affect the frame. It's, you know, similar to the placebo effect in medicine. Now, at the same time, does that affect everyone to the same degree? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how strongly that belief would really play a role for different people, but it's certainly no harm in adopting a belief or a decision that I can handle anything life throws at me. I can get done whatever needs to get done. And you can you know, tap into that willpower. At the same time, I'm a practical person. So I go, okay, you need energy to live. And your brain determines your behaviors, your actions is consuming calories. If you don't have enough energy, whether that's the calories or the nutrients or things like that, there's just certain things you're not going to be able to do regardless of how much you want to do. And if anyone's ever had the experience of extreme fatigue, where it's like the mind is willing, like you might really (laughs) want to do something, but the body's like, nope, you're not going anywhere or I'm not going to give you the energy for that. That's a real thing, too. And you might be able to counteract it with some degree of, you know, just I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to get it done. At the same time, there are going to be some limitations. So I look at both. I look at the internal and the attitudes, emotions, but also just the physiology of it. So, ultimately, the reason I bring up calories in the brain is because part of our survival nature is we want to minimize anything that's going to cost us too many calories, cost us too much energy. So, what this means from a practical standpoint is adopt both. Adopt the mindset that you can handle whatever you need to do and be strategic about not having to make so many tough decisions, constantly having to fight against challenges in your environment. Again, a little stress can be useful, can strengthen you. But if it's constantly having to like say no to the distractions or the donuts or the whatever it is that's getting in your way, that's where it helps to change your environment. Why Steve Jobs has like just a few items in the wardrobe, less decisions to make And ultimately, you go, how can I set up my environment and set up my life so I'm not constantly fatigued having to make these little decisions or use a lot of willpower or a lot of critical thinking? And again, it's a little bit, the reason why we see contradiction in the research is it's not going to be one extreme or the other. Some degree of challenge is going to strengthen you and is going to help you, but too much is going to overdo it and burn a person out, just like with exercise. So you find that balance for you. Yeah, for me,
0: what's been helpful, you know, maybe in the case of your side hustle in your business, it's like, Blocking off the time on your calendar or prioritizing the night before, like what exactly you're going to work on when you get to, when you get to the office the next day, instead of spending the first 15, 30 minutes or 45 minutes, like trying to figure out, all right, what am I going to tackle today? It's like, no, you know exactly in advance and you're removing that calorie burning brain decision from the equation. And it just like makes life a little bit easier and, and you feel more productive because of it. The next point that we have is the concept of today and not tomorrow. Like, I'm probably guilty just as everybody else, well, you know, diet starts on Monday kind of a thing or, you know, postponing things towards New Year's resolutions. But kind of like what we touched on before, you know, if something is not worth doing today, it's probably not going to be worth doing tomorrow for you either, at least long term. So, today, not tomorrow. Just in if something is worth doing, you know, it ought to be worth doing today or starting today because tomorrow is a very rosy future and today is a little bit to implement.
1: What can help some people with that is we can trick ourselves because we can go, oh, well, it's not going to make a difference whether I do it today or tomorrow, right? From a practical standpoint. So, you know, if I do this workout today versus tomorrow, if I write this article today versus tomorrow, does it make a difference from a physical world sort of standpoint? Maybe not. What really is the shift is who you become when you make that decision either way. So for instance, Get an example: times where I'm, you know, laying in my bed. I'm taking a nap. I'm resting after a day of work, and I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and it's in the evenings. So I can remember times where I'm like laying in bed. I'm like, ah, I'm just so comfortable. I kind of want to relax <laughs> and take a nap. I don't really feel like going to martial arts. I can go tomorrow, or you know, later this week, or whatever. And in that moment, I know. The important thing, it's not about my physical strength or the jiu-jitsu class. It's who do I become if I make a decision to, and this goes back to identity, to, let's say, be lazy or to, you know, take the comfortable route. It's more important to me to go to that class in that moment just because it changes something about your identity and who you are when you go, this is uncomfortable and that's exactly why I need to do it. Now there's a little bit of a caveat because are there times where I'm, there have been times where I'm laying in bed and I'm like, actually, my body really just needs rest today. Like I can just tell I need to take a break. So this isn't like an extreme thing, but that's maybe one or two times out of 10 that I've been in that circumstance. So I'm conscious in those times. And I go, you know what? I'm actually just going to take a rest day. And I do it. There's no guilt. It's totally owning it. You learn to become conscious about your decisions where it's not the exercise is not the whether you write something, you record a video for your business or you do this. It's not those little things themselves in terms of the outcome. It's more about the outcome of who you become when you make those decisions and when you decide to do something that's challenging because it now shifts and it, those actions do shift your identity and you now have evidence that you are someone who has willpower. You gain evidence that you can push through challenges in the internal shift that's created by those decisions is really what has that carryover effect then to being a more productive person in everything that you do.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Helps shift your identity by saying, well, yeah, that's something that I'm not going to put off. I'm going to actually tackle it today. Tell me about state management. This was an interesting concept
1: in the book too. State is referring to your emotional state. How do you feel? Right. So I'm sure you can remember times where you've been in a state of flow and ideas are coming out and you're really like, I just want to take on the world and I want to get all this work done and feeling productive and like getting things off the checklist. There might be other times where you've been in a state where it's like, I just want to, I mean, for me, I just want to sit back and watch Netflix for five hours and not do anything. Right. Both of those are different states. And the thing is, instead of being sort of a slave to one state and going, well, I'm just not in the mood. You go, what can I do to change my state? The whole Abraham Lincoln, give me – here are different numbers. Give me four hours to chop down a tree. I'll spend the first three sharpening the axe or whatever. Sure. Now, state management doesn't require a lot of time investment, but it is that idea that you set yourself up for success. So what I mean by state management is if I'm not in, let's say, a creative state, If I just kind of woke up, I'm kind of getting going and I go, okay, now I need to work on something in my business. I need to write an article or whatever. Well, if I just open up a blank, you know, word processor and my brain is just like not giving me anything, then the problem was I didn't manage my state. The first thing I do before an interview, before speaking on stage, before working in my business, before doing virtually any of these things, the first step is actually getting myself into the state for that activity. So it could be as simple as getting up and walking, which can enhance creativity by about 60%, the research shows. Physical movement is the quickest way to change your state. You can be putting on some great music, you know, dancing, moving my body, now I'm in a different state. So going back to that Netflix example, if I'm sitting there binge watching Netflix, I don't want to go exercise and do an hour long workout. It's too much of a change in state from an object at rest wanting to stay at rest to an object in motion to stay in motion. So what I do is I go, I change my state first. And then here's the thing. You don't want to make a decision until you're in the right state. So if you've ever been in an empowered state, you'll probably make great decisions. If you've been in a disempowered state, oftentimes the decisions aren't so great. So if I go, I don't feel like exercising right now. I don't make the decision whether or not I'm going to exercise sitting in my chair. First, I would get up. I would do 10 jumping jacks. I'd move my body, maybe put on some upbeat music. And then I go, okay, I'm going to just do that for two minutes. Now, after those two minutes, I go, do I want to sit back down and keep watching Netflix or do I want to go exercise? And what decision do you think I'm more likely to make after I've gotten up and changed my state?
0: Okay. Okay. Man, I can see how this would be really powerful. And it works with music, works with movement. I think there was an example, even just like kind of a power pose
1: or like a freedom pose of like, you know, spreading your arms out wide, something like that. This is one of those simple little hacks, so to speak, where... Another example, if you walk with your head down low and kind of put yourself into imagine what a depressed person would look like if they were walking, you walk that same way if <laughs> I start to feel depressed. Whereas the research shows if you smile, even if you're faking it and you act like you're successful and you carry yourself with a stature and, and walk upright and confident, well, by changing your physical body, you actually start to change your emotional state and you'll start to experience those emotions. It's really hard to look up. Put your eyes up, look up towards the ceiling, put a big smile on your face and feel depressed. It's almost impossible because the physiology doesn't allow for those feelings to go along with that physical state that you're in. Yeah, very quick hack there. I like that one.
0: If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time Did you have the 20 second rule in your book or was that another article? Kind of the theory that if you want to learn guitar, if you want to get better
1: at practicing guitar, for example, like
0: don't keep it buried away in the attic, keep it, you know, on the rack in the living room. So you, it takes less than 20 seconds to start the thing.
1: Yeah. So I didn't refer to it as the 20 second rule. That to me is simply a part of the managing your environment. Different people have talked about this, essentially putting temptations or distractions, making them harder to get access to. So. The principle here is I like to say it's working with your psychology instead of against your psychology. So, if a person goes, you know, I'm lazy or whatever. Well, human beings have a natural tendency to be, you know, lazy. But what is that if not just being efficient from another perspective? Like, I don't want to do more work than I absolutely have to. I don't want to burn more calories than I absolutely have to. So, it's like use that make the things that are temptations, they're buried out of sight, out of mind. It's hard to get to. You don't even keep them in your house or your workplace or whatever. Then it takes that extra effort. And if the thing that you want to do, you know, practice guitar, eat healthier foods, get work done, make it easier. A simple example for that from an entrepreneur standpoint is I realized that recording videos required me setting up this whole backdrop. I got to get my lights going. I got get My camera tripod set up. And I'm like, uh, so I would constantly put it off. So I just go yeah. it's worth investing in a different setup that it's going to take me 10 seconds to set it up and get it going because I'll just be far more productive when I know it's a really easy thing to do versus something that I'm like, oh, this is going to take so much work.
0: Yeah. Make it plug and play versus trying to you know have to do this whole setup every time. That makes sense. So the next point that I have is micro habits and actually have a whole episode on this episode 212. And actually Derek shared a kind of a framework for micro habits in our productivity roundup recently, which was I think episode 276, which was this, his magic three words, can I just, and then followed by a very small commitment. So can you dive into that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So I, micro habits, BJ Fogg talks about it. Stephen Geist, the book, Mini habits really popularized it. And so, I love giving giving credit to those who really brought it to the forefront. And for me, I need, or what helps me is having reminders, like little tools in my tool belt. So, that's where Can I Just was born. Using it as like an action, like Can I Just something. So, if I want to clean my apartment, right? I go, oh, I look at my apartment. Okay, I got all this stuff to clean. I don't know if I really feel like doing that, right? So part of changing the state is I go, well, can I just clean off my desk here? And it's going to take like 30 seconds. So I say a micro commitment, it's usually something five minutes or less, a minute or less, or I want to meditate. Okay. Can I just meditate for 30 seconds? Then I can quit after that. And when you set it up again, you get into action and momentum generates motivation. Once I'm in momentum, once you're doing something, you'll tend to want to keep doing it. So you just follow it up with another, can I just, can I just meditate for another 30 seconds or minute? And after the key thing, first of all, give yourself permission to quit because that's part of it is if you don't do it, it's still a success. So that way it's not a force. It's not a have to, it's a choose to do. But also once you're doing it, you'll tend to want to keep doing it a little bit more and you're taking these stepping stones. So it's like, can I just meditate for again, you know, 30 seconds, another 30 seconds. Well, now I've done it for a minute. Let me see if I can get to the two minute mark. Now I've done it for two minutes. Well, you know what? Let me just see if I can hit five minutes, right? And you're incrementally doing it. And what happens when you do this, you never activate the fight or flight response. That's like, this is overwhelming. I can't handle this because you've made it so small. You don't allow for as much of the fear or the resistance to creep in. This is especially powerful for entrepreneurs, not just to like get started with something, but also for one of the biggest challenges for high achievers is the perfectionism trap and the needing something to be good quality. So I use Can I Just? And I teach it to a lot of entrepreneurs who, you know, they're working on a book or they're shooting videos or they're doing something and it's that whole Whether they're conscious of it or not, that desire for it to be good tends to keep them procrastinating or holding off. Whereas it's like, okay, can I just record a two-minute video and I can delete it after I'm done? And I don't even have to show anyone and it can totally suck, right? Can I just write five headlines? And they can all suck. I don't need to use any of them. Just five crappy headlines. And I believe it was Tim Ferriss talked about like just write two crappy pages. Right. And the idea is the can I just it's not just a small action. It's also giving yourself permission for it to not be any good. And when you do that, you open up the door to get started, get in momentum, and turn something that's crappy into something that's better, into something that's decent, into something that's good, into something that's great, into something that's excellent. Because it's almost always an evolution. I believe it's T.R. Becker. Every master was once a disaster. So (laughs) you give yourself permission to get started and work on it and then improve through progression.
0: Yeah, that absolutely. I was working on some it's like these habits that are, you know, almost too small to fail. I'm gonna do one push up, I'm gonna floss one tooth. And once you're in there, hopefully you do a little bit more and, you know, build some momentum there. The one way that I was tracking that was in the form of like a thirty day challenge. Okay, can I do this every day for thirty days? Like I don't wanna break the streak. I found that to be sometimes effective, sometimes not. But I don't know, like do you work with clients on kind of a challenge framework or a deadline framework like this used to work for when I used to run, I was like, well, I got a 10K coming up. I better actually do this. Or I got a half marathon coming up. I better actually stick to the training schedule something like that.
1: Yeah. I personally love challenges and deadlines. And this, again, it could be a personality type of thing. And it could also be a, some people might thrive more in challenges if it's something that they feel pretty competent at. So, I have some speculation around that. Certainly, I found for myself and a number of people that I work with that having a challenge and that deadline can really, again, it's like the right dose of challenge, the right dose of stress improves, you know, we see it in the physical body, stress with exercise, stress with fasting, these different things can improve health in the right dose for the right people. And so, when you find that just the right deadline to be like, okay, now it's real. Like, I can't just put it off indefinitely, that whole tomorrow versus today thing. It's like you now have a reason to do it today. I found that a recent speaking competition – that I signed up for. Now, all of a sudden, I have an opportunity to speak in front of meeting planners. I have an opportunity to win something. I have a deadline that I got to have <laughs> a speech done by like all of these things came together. And then I worked harder on that than I'd ever worked before. On, you know, my speaking and it happened in music school with a music composition challenge. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, challenges can work great for the right people.
0: Yeah. If you're working on a book, like set the launch date and then work backwards to get it done by then. That's what I ended up doing with buy buttons, which otherwise probably still wouldn't have come out. the the more recent deadline was our second son being born. So, it's like, okay, I want to have a couple months worth of podcast buffer by that deadline. So, yeah, deadlines can be be really helpful. In fact, I need to probably utilize that little hack a little bit more to move some other projects forward.
1: One thing about deadlines that's great. So, we talked about there's external deadlines, which could be like a race or a competition or something that someone else has set up. What you did is think proactively, how can I set a deadline for myself? And you might tell some friends or you might announce to your audience, I'm going to have my book out by such and such date. And And now you're accountable. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Where do you see people failing on this stuff? I mean, it's all good and you give it some great little tweaks and hacks and stuff that we can do and actually some stuff that I'm going to implement as well. But like, where do you see people kind of falling off track, either clients of yours or otherwise?
1: The great thing about something like Can I Just is it's set up to be fail-proof. When you give yourself something small enough to do, you will get into action. You will start to shift things. And- It has an incredible success rate, yet there's still two things that if they're missing from the equation will still cause a person to fail. Now, it could be more than two things, but it's typically chunks up into one of these two things. The first thing is simple and yet easy to potentially overlook is having a reminder. So if you look at the power of habit, Charles Duhigg, all habits have the cue, the routine and the reward. The cue is the trigger. And in the case of creating a habit, you got to go, well, how am I going to remember to do this now, right? How am I going to actually, if I'm doing something new, that's not part of my daily routine, what's going to get me to remember to do it, even if it's easy enough to do. So in that case, you want to make sure you have something that's going to remind you to do it. That could be the person wanting to floss. Maybe they need to put the floss right in their sink or right in front of them where they can't miss it. Many people, it's going to be scheduling things, putting it on a calendar, sometimes cell phone reminders, sticky notes, whatever it is. I often find for many people, it's not that it's too difficult. It's just they would forget about it. So the key thing is what's your reminder? find what works for you. And then the other big thing is that if you, again, look at that three-part process, cue, routine, reward, what will throw some people off is the frame that it's not that big of a deal. Or yeah, I did. I wrote these two crappy pages, but so what? Like, what's the big deal about that? I was talking to a friend who she wrote a book. She overcame so many challenges to write this book. And then the first thought that came up was like, yeah, but some people have written like five books. So what's the big deal? Right? <laughs> it's this tendency for the mind to like, it overplays it while you're trying to do it. And it seems like this daunting task. And then it underplays it after it's done when it really needs to be the opposite. You need to underplay it when you're getting into it. Be like, ah, this is no big deal. And then when you're done, be like, that's amazing that I did that. That's amazing that I wrote two pages or that I wrote five headlines or that I recorded this 30 second video when I didn't feel like doing anything. It's allowing yourself to soak in a sense of accomplishment. If all you did was 30 seconds of meditation or you read a, you know, two pages of a business book or whatever it is, you gotta give yourself some credit for that. In order for there to be that reward, that dopamine release, and that sense of this is a win and I want to keep getting more wins. That's how the neurology is set up where when you get that sense of accomplishment, you want to keep doing it. And the way to negate that is to just downplay it and be like, yeah, but it wasn't that big of a deal. So make sure you own your wins, own your successes. And a reward doesn't have to be like, I'm going to go out and buy something. It could just be like, yes, you know, a little fist pump or something that gets you that sense of like, I did something, this is great. And that success will tend to breed more success. Sure. And sometimes the reward is, you know, if you're doing the streaks or the 30-day challenge is just checking the box off. Like, hey, I got that done today. It's amazing. That little thing. Is that like check, dopamine release, cool. I don't want to break the streak. I want to get my next streak tomorrow. And that's all it takes to start to build that habit. Derek, what's next for you? You got a ton of stuff going on. I'm curious, what are you working on these days? So my few things, I'll have an upcoming book coming out, but I don't know the name (laughs) of it yet. Uh, Basically 90 daily tips and reflections and things to help you know transform a person's mindset and I love speaking for audiences and getting my NLP trainer certification coming up in a couple months I'm a master practitioner coach but getting into training along with a number of other things got a upcoming podcast so be on the lookout for influencing millions podcast coming out All sorts of stuff, man.
0: Really appreciate you joining me. You can check Derek out at excuseproof.com slash side hustle nation where you can grab a free copy of the Healthy Habit Revolution audiobook. Really appreciate you putting that offer together for us. That's excuseproof.com slash side hustle nation. And let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for side hustle nation. Don't have to be, you know, habit related. Just whatever entrepreneurial wisdom you'd like to impart.
1: One of the things that made the biggest difference for me in my business and as well as when it came to health and all these things, as we've been talking about willpower, which is very much the discipline approach and can have a connotation around doing things that you might not feel like doing. What I really found had the biggest impact and breakthrough in my life was when I did something that I really found fun and enjoyable. And so my, it's a simple thing that sometimes we need to be reminded of it. Quick example with health, you know, running on a treadmill would not be fun. I never would have developed the exercise habit if exercise to me meant mindlessly running on a treadmill. Instead, exercise was going to the gym, lifting weights and seeing how can I beat my previous best. It was going to a beach and working out with friends and challenging each other to competitions. Business was writing and sharing things with people that I was passionate about and excited about. And the things that would keep me up at night from an excitement standpoint, from a creativity standpoint would be things that I had a passion for and that were fun. So as much as willpower is a part of the equation, I believe, you know, there are times in business and in life where we got to do things that we don't enjoy. I also say, look at the things that really light you up, where it doesn't feel like you have to use so much willpower for, where you actually get energy. You love to do it and find ways to do more of that because your creativity will get ignited, will get unleashed, and you'll be able to put so much more into it that I just willpower can't necessarily, you know, if I try to just force myself to write a book about something I didn't care about. (laughs) I could get it done, but would it really be a powerful transformational piece of work? I doubt it. So give yourself some permission to do things that you absolutely love and that you're passionate about. Yeah, I've had those same projects that sit on the
0: to-do list for weeks and weeks or months, or sometimes even years, you know, or these half-finished projects on the hard drive. It's like, if that's the case, like, that's probably a sign that you didn't care about it that much in the first place. Make it fun, make it exciting. That kind of transforms it from a have-to-do to a get-to-do. And that's a really powerful thing to, like you said, have more have more energy for these projects and stuff that we want to get done. Derek, really appreciate you joining me. Once again, excuseproof.com. Hit up excuseproof.com slash sidehustlenation to grab a free audiobook for of the Healthy Habit Revolution. I really liked it. I think you'll get a kick out of it as well. Appreciate you joining me. We'll catch up with you soon. All right, my top takeaways from this call with Derek. Number one, environment is stronger than willpower. So this whole episode was about willpower, but maybe one of the most effective ways to practice it is to not force yourself to have to. You know, you wanna eat clean? Don't keep junk food in the house. You don't wanna drink? Don't meet your friends at the bar. You wanna start an exercise habit? Hire a personal trainer and put it on the calendar. Business-wise, maybe that means having a dedicated workspace that's free from distractions. Maybe that means setting up a mastermind with like-minded people. You probably heard the quote, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and and that can be really tough if the people closest to you in life aren't on board with whatever change you're trying to make. A couple of things you can do about that. First, you know, would be to put on your sales hat, as Derek suggested, and explain what you're trying to accomplish, why it's important to you, and what's in it for them. I think most of the time you'll find people want to be supportive. Now, the other thing is if you can't change your physical environment and surroundings, you can change your virtual one. You're already doing that by listening to podcasts like this. But You can also join communities or Facebook groups that lift you up and support you. A few years ago, I didn't have a great entrepreneurial network locally. Almost all my best friends in real life are employees. So I set out to find my people online and I think it made a big impact. So here's a spot to plug the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group, sidehustlenation.com slash FB. We'll get you over there. Definitely an awesome supportive community of people who are kind of in the same boat as you. Takeaway number two is momentum generates motivation. So that means start small. I think A common failure point is trying to make a complete life, you know, 180 overnight and start dozens of brand new different habits. And it's just not sustainable. So pick and choose maybe one to three keystone habits to focus on for the first month. And you can position it as a 30-day challenge. So challenge yourself to complete those. And then once they're established, you can branch out into others which ones are most important to you? Remember Derek's can I just framework? Can I just do one proactive thing for my business today? Can I just do 10 kettlebell swings? Can I just avoid processed food and refined sugars? Momentum generates motivation. And takeaway number three is nobody's perfect all the time. You know, relax. Everything in moderation, including moderation. You don't want to be the kid at the birthday party who can't have the cake, but you also don't want to be at a birthday party every single day. Remember, in the words of Jimmy Buffett, don't talk about tomorrow, tonight. I love the now. Nobody is perfect all the time. Once again, notes and links for this episode are at sidehustlenation.com slash willpower. Big thanks to Derek for joining me. And again, big thanks to my brother, Chris, for the inspiration for this episode. You can check him out at becomingbetter.org. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where, like I said, I'm diving into the listener mailbag for another round of 20 questions with Nick. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com.